Welcome everyone to this, our first holiday edition of the Medfield College Film Society. I am your Christmas elf, Jeff Crawford. With me are my society elves, starting with the founding elf, not Santa Claus, Mr. Robert McSwain. Uh, how's it going, Robert? There's a chill in the air and Mariah Carey is raking in the royalties. That can mean only one thing, that Christmas is coming. So... I'm doing just fine, and I'm ready to talk about a true holiday classic. Yes. I said, uh, you know, I have a new movie for my uh, Christmas rotation here. Uh, we're going to go to not the swamps of Central Florida this time, but the uh, the Piedmont of North Carolina. We're all in North Carolina. I can just feel you all in this state. Mr. Michael Crawford reporting from his mobile location. How's it going? Uh, the mobile broadcasting studio is doing great. It's my favorite time of the year. It's nice and cold. Got the fire roaring. It is good times here in the Piedmont. And up in the mountains. It just snowed there yesterday. Mr. Andy Brown. How's it going, Andy? I'm doing great. I hope you guys are staying warm and enjoying this time of year. And I'm ready to talk about this movie. Yeah. We've got a great uh, movie for this first holiday spectacular, and I wonder if you could introduce us to it, Michael. We are going to be discussing the 1961 Disney classic Babes in Toyland, directed by Jack Donahue, written by Ward Kimball, a Disney legend, and Joe Rinaldi and Lowell S. Howley based on the 1903 operetta by Victor Herbert and Glenn McDonough, uh, starring Ray Bolger, a.k.a. the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz, as Barnaby, Tommy Sands as Tom Piper, Disney legend Annette Funicello as Mary Contrary, Disney legend Ed Wynn as The Toymaker, with Disney legend Tommy Kirk as Grumio, Disney legend Kevin Corcoran, a.k.a. Moochie, as Boy Blue, uh, Henry Calvin of Zara fame as Gonzorgo, uh, Gene Sheldon also of Zara fame as Rodrigo, and a very young Angelian as Bo Peep, and Brian Corcoran, aka brother of Moochie, as Willy Winky. Yeah, so we did a very informal look into uh, this was 10 years ago on the Progress City Radio Hour, who had appeared in the most Disney. Uh, live action movies and and Tommy Kirk won out on that but you know Edwin and and uh, Kevin Corcoran and Annette aren't going to be too far behind this is the stable at work here yeah this is like the old school studio system yeah up to 11 and there was no question that 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 poor old Brian was related to uh, his brother <laughs> I saw that I was like no oh, that's got to be old uh, Moochie's the brother there one of the lesser Corcorans Oh, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it was weird to see like another, another Moochie in the movie. Yeah. Jeff even it's a mini, me mini Moochie. Right. Uh, yeah, right. exactly. There's a lot of uh, legendary Disney talent in this. The credits for these films, the art direction is by Marvin Davis, who was not only an art director, but helped lay out Disneyland and Epcot, the original plans for Epcot when it was a city. Uh, the toy sequence uh, by X Atencio and Bill Justice, yeah, yeah. both legends, uh, sets by Emil Curie. Music adapted and conducted by a favorite of Jeff, I know, George Bruns. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it was based on existing operetta, but they brought they uh, have new lyrics by a guy named Mel Levin. So, and, and we got Franklin Marks on orchestration, who's also involved in a lot of these around the same time with Bruns on a lot of these movies. So, yeah, exactly. Kind of so, a lot of standard issue talent. Uh, this had originally been announced in 1955 as an animated feature. But later it was decided that it would become Disney's first live action musical. And Walt really wanted to create a film on par with The Wizard of Oz, which you can see many Oz influences, but we'll leave it to later to decide uh, how that went. Nailed it. Nailed it mm, in one. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a troubled production. Ward Kimball, who was a iconic Disney animator, had been the original director of the film. And he had been previously afforded a lot of creative freedom on some of the shorts and TV programs he had done. He had just come off of doing the uh, Man in Space Tomorrowland shows for TV. And this led to him overstepping his bounds in Walt's eyes. He made some set design decisions and uh, brought in Ray Bolger to screen test while Walt was away. And that kind of ruffled Walt's feathers. Also, an overeager studio PR person misstepped by taking out an ad in Variety congratulating Kimball on being selected to direct the film. And uh, Kimball got kind of blamed for that. He believed that there were jealous parties at the studio that got wild, riled up against him. And anyway, he was taken off the picture. So it had kind of a tumultuous beginning. Interesting. Interesting. So here we are. Babes in Toyland. I, uh, you know, I had some memories of this movie, but I can't say that I remember seeing it all the way through. Um, has anybody else seen it all the way through to their memory? I had not seen any of it until really? about four days ago. I know I have seen it all the way through, but it made zero impression upon me. Like I remembered yeah. the aesthetic of it. Right. I remember yeah. the a lot of things that come at the end. Uh, of yes. course, the toy soldiers from this movie have become an annual part of the Disney Parks Christmas tradition. They are featured in everything to the point where I don't think a lot of people know actually where they came from just because they're such an iconic park thing. But So I know I'd seen it probably several times, in the, but it just kind of erased itself from my memory. And Andy, you watch it every year, right? Uh, yeah, it's on heavy rotation. No, <laughs> no, I, I have never seen this movie and I wish I had never seen it this time. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go around the room. We're going to do a, a non-spoiler. You, you usually do this for just Andy, but we're going to do all of us. Andy, your non-spoiler reaction. I think you've given us a little bit of it. Yeah. I hated this movie. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all I need to say. <laughs> I'm going to get next because oh. Michael, you uh, kind of touched on my non-spoiler reaction uh my reaction was when i looked at the credits of this and saw that ward kimball wrote had a writing credit i was like this explains a lot i mean i love ward kimball and ward kimball is uh, responsible for some of my favorite things in disney history but uh this is what happens when you let ward kimball run amok that's my non-spoiler reaction robert uh yeah i'm I got like maybe 10 minutes into this and I was dying laughing. Not because it was hysterically funny, but because it was breaking like every rule in like Andy's playbook. 
<laughs> yeah, we were texting heavily. Me and you. And like, like, and it broke all of them. Like in the first five minutes, like, it was, and, and I was like, man, I've, I've picked a gem. This is brilliant. I like, I had no, I just threw a dart at the dartboard kind of thing, and and um, yeah, I used to think that I was starting to get better and be able to, you know, handle these movies better. But this sent me right back to step one. <laughs> I mean, Robert is uh, is nearing completion on his mystery science theater experiment on you, Andy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, this, uh, yeah, this nut's gonna crack soon. I mean, it wasn't great, I, but I, there, there certainly were different parts in it that I really enjoyed, and and I enjoyed thinking that Andy was suffering, which also makes me laugh. So. <laughs> You're sick, man. You're uh, sick. All right, Michael, what's your non spoiler reaction? Well, you know, I think a reason why I don't remember a lot of this is I have a vague feeling uh, as a kid, this was the kind of movie that would probably come on Disney Channel and I'd be like, oh, this has got to be good. It's got all these people in it. You know, it's got all these people involved that I love. And like, I know all these guys, this is going to be great. It's the kind of movie that starts on TV and you wind up not like watching all of it because you just kind of trail off and lose interest. And I think that happened a lot where I would be like, Oh, this has got to be good. I, I must be misremembering and would start and just kind of trail off because, uh, which is ironic because the best parts are at the end. But anyway, we'll talk about that, but yeah, it is not wizard of Oz. <laughs> Sorry, Walt. No, 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 they did not. They did not. All right. Well, it's time to get into this thing. We've, we've teased it enough. Michael, you're going to start us off. Take us into the world of Babes in Toyland. I have the con. All right. So, open on a curtain. From behind which pops a puppet goose. Immediately, I'm like, nah, <laughs> no. Nope. And immediately, I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I said it's never a good sign when when you hate musicals and it starts off with an overture and a goose. <laughs> yeah. Now wait a second. We got we got to get back to the title cards because they are pretty sweet. The title oh, yeah. cards are uh, are nice. Yeah. And uh, they have pictures of the actors on some of the title cards which really cracked me up like disembodied heads of yeah. the actors which i've never <laughs> seen and they're really like dramatic portraits too yes yes i'm so glad you pointed that out because that was real funny and <laughs> and i didn't even make a note of it and i will say this movie is in technicolor and it it pops really nicely it does, it, it does make use That's of true. the technicolor uh, as he, as seen in those opening cards and this blue satiny curtain that appears, but yeah, opening with a puppet, and we're not talking an animatronic here. We're talking like hand puppet, straight puppet. up, yeah, straight hand up, up the rear end, hand up the keister puppet. Yep. Uh-huh. So you got the uh, the old figment puppet technology going, where you've got yes. the uh, the fake hand around gag. Yes, that's immediately what I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that uh, the classic. So this puppet is a puppet goose, and he introduces himself as Sylvester J. Goose. Uh, this uh, goose was voiced by the director of the film, B.W. Huh. Huh. Uh, he then introduces our hostess as weighing 189 pounds, which was strange. Yes. Uh, our hostess is Mother <laughs> Goose. Man, 
I what just do don't get that? I don't get Mother Goose stuff. I really no. don't. I don't know if I ever did. But As a I def- kid, I was not I was not enchanted by Mother Goose anything. Yeah. It's just I mean, I guess people were psyched about it. I don't know. I don't know. It yeah, never I, appealed I, I, me. I don't I don't have a memory of, of being really drawn into her you know, that stuff either. Um, but now that you mentioned it. Yeah, as, which Andy. probably explains my lack of enthusiasm. Andy, big Mother Goose fan. Andy loved Mother Goose. <laughs> oh, yeah, love the goose. Love Mother Goose. <laughs> and that biker gang, the Mothers of Goose, you're, you're part of. And it, um, yeah. Immediately, though, the music started, and I was like, in my brain, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a freaking musical. And just reminding the listeners, I hate musicals. And so this was, I knew, I was like, this is going to be a rough hour and 40 minutes or whatever <laughs> I, I was excited about the overture but uh that's where we differ yes yeah, I was, I was yeah it is at that point a, not only a musical but a musical based on a 1903 operetta so oh, hey, it, hey, yeah hey. mother goose comes out from behind the curtain and invites us all to the wedding of tom and mary in mother goose village and that's when the curtain opens and we're on a soundstage village and isn't there like fake applause at this point like the metaphor yes, so. is pretty confusing of like this is a stage performance that becomes a real world movie i don't know it's like a weird metaphor where they like start out and it's like this is a production and then it that's the last time you see it until the very end yeah curtain call for a, a live thing very busby berkeley anyway we've got lots of colorful vaguely germanic villagers and they're singing and dancing for andy and uh <laughs> but yeah the uh the director was like a did a lot of i think tv specials like variety shows so you can definitely that see makes that sense. yeah yeah uh do we they, know what soundstage do we know what soundstage this was shot on it has uh, to be no. the big one at the disney studio right where they did uh, mary poppins and Twenty Thousand leagues it's just so huge i figured it would have yeah. to be that one yeah i mean it would be one of the big sound stages i don't know which one but definitely at the studio yeah um, it just feels so much like Munchkin Land with a little bit of fantasy land. But so, I mean, immediately that Wizard of Oz thing is, is hitting hard or their attempt yeah. at the Wizard of Oz thing. Yeah. It reminds me of like an episode of Mickey Mouse Club on like steroids. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, everybody in turn introduces us via the magic of song to all the fairy tale residents of the town. We've got Little Bo Peep and her sheep which are multicolored, very Oz take on that. Uh, we've got Jack and Jill. We've got Jack, who jumps over a candlestick and catches his pants on fire. We've got Simple Simon and his stack of pies. And that was a weird effect. I'm not really sure how they did all that. but Yeah, and the candlestick was kind of wild, too. The candlestick <laughs> yeah, was well, pretty good. I noticed they kept cutting on, on his landing, which maybe. uh figure that they were having trouble either with the uh the setup or they just couldn't do the landing right make it look <laughs> they, natural they just drop him yeah because yeah every time he would get ready to come down they would it would be a tight shot of him like like oh flubber. i'm on the, I'm on the ground now flubber so. flubber it's flubber yeah. yeah well this was the same year as absent-minded professor so they had that tech going for him this year Man, I, I really love the the lemonade girls. I, I, that that needs to be like a Disney park staple. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming up to them. Oh, but sorry, first, sorry. I got to mention Moochie's creepy brother uh, slips up <laughs> oh, Simple gosh. Simon with a banana peel and takes a pie in the face, like which is really oh, kind of weird. Man. 
Now, this uh, is before or after Moochie does his shofar solo. Yeah. <laughs> which That's was true. really... <laughs> he kind of summons everybody with, with his ram's horn. <laughs> to, summons everybody to the, uh, to the gala. That's true. Uh, that is totally what he was doing, yeah. Uh, then we get the bunch of lemon bedecked lady dancers, as Jeff mentioned, in kind of like racy, like rocks, um, rockette kind of garb. Uh, they come out and give everybody lemonade. Yeah, it seems like a good like MGM Studios uh, sit down dining experience where the lemonade <laughs> girls come out and give you Sing lemonade, the lemonade before the, the show. <laughs> Begins. Yeah, I wrote that's a lot of effort just to get some young people to drink some lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> I need to post it on like the meme. Like I'm going to tell my children this was the video for lemonade. Um, <laughs> I'll put that instead. Um, yeah, it was. They were psyched about that lemonade, man. Anyway, so they're giving lemonade to everybody, and then they introduce the soon-to-be-married Tom and Mary. Tom and Mary come out and they join in the dancing and everybody's real stoked about Tom and Mary and lemonade. Seriously. Everyone is going to town on lemonade. What's in that lemonade, man. What's going on here? It is hard lemonade. Apparently <laughs> but soon the camera pans up from the village to a scary dark house sitting atop a mountain where lightning strikes and we're introduced to the mustachioed villain Barnaby. And before we get to him, I just want to say that I like that little effect. It just kind of a neat, surreal, super fake effect of the house on the hill. It just kind of, uh, the effects are really interesting in this movie and how they kind of blend uh, reality and, you know, not reality. But uh, it was very surreal. So I'll Yeah, yeah. I, it, it kind of caught me too. I, I mean, it, it was, I enjoyed it too, yeah. At first, it reminds me of Professor Fate's House in the Great Race, but uh, that's a different story. But we should mention about this movie that it incorporates a lot of animation and effects in weird ways that I don't recall Disney ever doing in any other film. And I kind of wish it's something they had tried again in a better movie. I mean, they kind of use some tricks and poppins that are similar, but not like to create this level of like weird fantasy and uh, it's something Walt was really into at the time. Like he wanted to stop animating humans because that was kind of, I think he thought it was probably kind of boring and it had been done and it was expensive and wanted to do sort of fantasy movies with live actors, but with everything else being animated. And so I think that was probably the driving force behind using some of the tricks of the trade, which we will see throughout this movie. It's pretty wild. So, um, Bondby is looking down on the villagers through his droopy telescope and cursing their frivolous ways. Says, yeah, for a rich guy, he needs to get a new telescope. Yeah, that telescope was busted. Like, everything in this movie is, like, straight out of a cartoon. But live actions, it's weird that way. I have to because, say, Barnaby reminded me a little bit, of, though, of uh, the Vincent Price rat we saw. Was that movie? Yes, Radigan. Okay. Yeah. 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 I can see it. I can see it. Um, yeah. He says, tomorrow the villagers will be singing a dirge because apparently Mary's going to come into a lot of cash when she marries. So his plan is to marry her himself. Get Tom out of the picture. He summons his lackeys, Gonzorgo and Rodrigo, and uh, they're off to do no good. Gonzago and Rodrigo instantly read as 
morons. Yeah. Which yeah, they are. Yeah. And Rodrigo uh, is like a Harpo Marx ripoff. Yes. Yes, he is. A very poorly done one, I thought. Well, this is Gene Sheldon, who played a mute character on Zorro, who was Zorro's sidekick and uh, mute. He plays him as mute here, a mute kind of clown. Henry Calvin is uh, was a bumbling character in Zorro, and he does the bumbling character here. Yeah. And they do a lot of clowny business about their evil plan. And this whole layer feels straight out of uh, Batman, the Adam West Batman, the, the really oh, yeah. intense colors and kind of, like you said, cartoony feel in live action. They've got a stuffed alligator, like a real yes. alligator, yes. which I thought was in. You're right about the Batman. I was trying to put my finger yeah, on so it. Yeah, that's a good good call there. Because everything's kind of like flat primary colors. Right, yeah. right. So their uh, evil plan is to kidnap Tom, throw him into the sea, steal Mary's sheep. So simple. Throw him into the sea, part. man. Why not? Throw him into the sea. Uh, Gonzorgo and Rodrigo threaten to bail when Barnaby only offers them a few coins for their efforts. Uh, but then the villain unveils a large, weird piggy bank uh, containing <laughs> whatever is in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. And it <laughs> sort of bathes the villains in a golden animated aura of profit. This was an interesting I effect. Thought that yeah, was I a really it. cool yeah, effect. Yeah, it was so cool. It was like... It looked like something but, CGI would do now, you know? Well, was, yeah, I mean, it looked practical at first, and I'm not sure if it was practical, and then they switched it to animation, I think, when they went to the like the, the side angle. Yeah, it was uh, weird, because you've got the glow of the gold, but then, like, all these, like, dollar and pound signs, like, floating through the air. And then they yeah, do this was, thing where they, like, lean in, yeah. like, Yeah, it's the Michael style. Jackson, it's a Michael Jackson move from Annie, Are You Okay?, <laughs> that's where he got criminal. it smooth criminal yeah but <laughs> i mean that was a really bizarre plot device well, they were floating but they, yeah. they, they, they came off the ground for a minute uh, yeah 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 yeah. so it wasn't quite but yeah i definitely see where you're coming from with the the uh they're doing the the jackson lean there yeah just but a floating the, jackson lean yeah but yeah their feet came off the ground just for a second and they they fell over yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, so, and like, there's so many. Uh, this could have been so interesting, but they're like interesting bits, but it just doesn't quite work. Uh, this gets them so excited that the bad guys do a song of their own about how Barnaby's <laughs> going to get Mary's money and how of they love they to do. steal and murder. They love to steal and murder. <laughs> I mean, Ray, uh, the second time through this movie, I watched it twice. Ray God, was really, God like, help he was you. turning my crank. Yeah, I was, I was enjoying enjoying his performance big time. Like he's an old vaudevillian, so like he knew how to like work with this kind of material, like just go so far over the top. It's crazy. So uh, back in town, we get a tour of Mary Contrary's garden, which is not too far removed from Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> They've got these like little flowers that are dressed up like. I don't know, a character from Parappa the Rapper or something. But anyway, uh, Gonzago and Rodrigo show up with a giant sack and they bumble around a while. And uh, they've got a good old-fashioned clown hammer to hit Tom on the head with when he uh, shows up. Come on. Yeah, that old bit. Hammer. Yeah. Tommy, uh, Tommy Sands' quaff is really 
I, mean, I texted Jeff. <laughs> I think during this movie, I just said, that hair is something else, man. He's got is. a head of hair. Epic. Epic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Buffon. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it the is. The thing is, it's not moving. You throw him into the sea, it's going to be there. It's it's a, yeah, you, said, you said it's a helmet. I believe it's your yeah, That's right. <laughs> or like a loofah. It would just yeah, soak everything up. <laughs> so before uh, Tom shows up, we get in a few more bits of business involving baggy pants and pratfalls. Which is just clowning is hilarious. <sighs> Tom and Mary show up and sing another song while uh, kids look on from the house's window trying to see if they're going to make out, which they don't. Man, okay, another shout out to the other Corcoran brother. Just weird, weird bizarro Moochie that's like lesser Moochie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is bizarro Moochie, totally. He's de- he's phoning it in too. Like he's not yeah. he's not giving it any effort. It's so weird. Like these kids, it's like most of them are just like staring, just staring most of the movie. Yeah, like they're not doing most this many, sucks much when of anything. We eat. It's like so weird. <laughs> They need like the the director that's like, okay, everybody, smiling faces, big motions. Like they need that guy in this movie. It's so weird. They're just like lethargic. I'll be over children. craft service. Call me when they when they yell action. Right. I noticed because there are a pair of twins, like little blonde twins, and one of them like, oh, well, it could be both at different times, but would like look like at a different angle. It was like she was just like looking at random stuff lying around. It's <laughs> just kind of like, ah, uh, whatever. Disengaged. Um, the other thing I'll say is this uh, this song I thought was pretty great. Uh, sorry, Andy, if you'll forgive me. Uh, and I think it's a good outing for <laughs> Annette's vocals. You know, Annette's yeah. vocals get criticized a lot, and she get did the double-tracking vocal thing to kind of cover up for the quote-unquote weak vocal performance. Usually her vocal delivery is like really flat, but she's really doing a nice kind of tender vocal here. I thought it was was nice. I thought that too. I said they did a really good job of working within her range. And uh, like she does some of some of the best like singing that I can remember of hearing her sing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was it was really nice. So that's one one thing in its favor. Uh, Tom's hair is, as mentioned, especially muffiny. As he serenades Mary in the garden. <laughs> and uh, even the villains appreciate it as they peep on the proceedings over the hedge. There's a uh, also weird line where uh, Moochie's creepy brother says that Tom tried to bite her after they almost kiss. Uh, he tried to bite her. Uh, anyway, after the couple says goodnight, without a smooch, I might add. Tom is knocked out on his muffiny head by the bad guys who bag him up and carry him off. They also got a little uh, special effect here. Yes, that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I did. Well, I'll explain it. Like, yeah, they, they hit him over the head, and like he, his feet sink uh, almost up to his thighs into the grass. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and he did it. I mean, I wonder how many times I had to do that take because it just it felt like a that would have been a hard move to do to have your your feet fall out from under you and you, and you stay. Perfectly rigid, right. like he did. Yeah, yeah. Because you'd want to like brace yourself. You wouldn't. I mean, the, the hair didn't. holds him up. I was gonna I say, turn it up to the hair. Yeah, shock exactly. absorber. But it didn't look like sped up or anything. I mean, it happens fast, but it didn't look yeah. sped up. And it didn't. No, it didn't. Yeah, it, looked, it was all like yeah. timed, so it looked like real. It was pretty, pretty wild. 
So we find ourselves in some spooky woods where Gonzorgo and Rodrigo are wheeling Tom away to drown him. They come upon a signpost pointing towards the sea, but it also indicates that a gypsy camp is nearby. Oh, here we go. You know, here we go with this. I want to add here that the they're, while they're wheeling them, though, uh, Rodrigo, like Tom starts moaning and Rodrigo just whacks him again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's a little dark there. I mean, the guy's in pain and he's just like, eh, shut up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it almost is like a running gag. Like every time he starts to wake up, they give him another whack. And he's still holding the flower that he was holding. I love that he's That's because right. he had been holding a flower for Mary, and then they whack him, and he's kind of holding it in front of him like rigidly. And they, with the sack over his head, he's still holding that rose or whatever it is. It's pretty silly. Um, Gonzargo is intrigued by the gypsies. He points out that, as everyone knows, gypsies buy stolen babies, so <laughs> really? maybe they'd shell out for Tom too. Terrible Hello, gypsy. they figure if they sell tom to the gypsies they can trick barnaby and get paid for tom twice once to barnaby once to the gypsies double cash in Uh, we get more gags about rodrigo's clown feet hooray and uh, they take off to the gypsy camp so the next (laughs) this is such a weird joke the next day mary is checking herself out in the mirror asking mother goose if tom will like her wedding dress and there's a weird visual gag where, okay, so she's looking at herself in the mirror in her wedding dress, but it's revealed that she's just standing in her regular clothes behind the wedding dress. Yes. Which is yes. standing up on its own, like some kind of like weird photo op. <laughs> it, I laugh so hard at this because it's like, it looks like she's in her wedding dress and then she turns around and goes to look out the window and the wedding dress just stands there on its <laughs> own. That's so weird. The first time through it, I must have been taking notes because I didn't catch it until the second time through. Because I was like, "What? What was that?" <laughs> it's <laughs> That's like so a, weird. a definite weird, conscious yeah. decision that that goes into that happening. It's like, yeah, no, let's not have it on her. That's no, <laughs> no. It's just standing there frozen. It's so <laughs> weird. So uh, Mary's fretting about a bunch about a bunch of things wedding related, and Sylvester the Goose is only making things worse. Uh, but then Barnaby shows up and starts flattering Mary, talking about how hot she is and wishing her well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sylvester has downer, man. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sylvester has major beef with Barnaby. And uh, Barnaby retorts that he had roast goose for lunch. And Sylvester says, that's how we lost mother. Uh, Mary politely tells Barnaby to get lost, but then there's a ruckus outside, and it's Gonzorgo and Rodrigo who are pretending to be shipwrecked sailors. In a prolonged and very strange scene, they tell Mary they saw Tom out sailing, and he sank into the sea. Come on, this is where I really, I really tanked during this whole. whole He sank into the sea, Andy. He sank into the sea. Yeah, he's sinking. This, I mean, I wrote down the, the plot's paper thin here, and uh, but I, did, I will say this: the uh, the visual effect or special effect of them hitting each other in the water, going everywhere. I did enjoy that. I thought that was pretty well. <laughs> that done. was for, that was like well, t- it was like super well timed. Like, yeah. however they yeah. did it, because I mean they they're dressed up like little sailor guys, and they'll they'll take a whack at each other and just like explode water. And the gag is in the scene. There's just ever 
deepening pool of water beneath them. Like every time it cuts away, the water gets deeper and deeper. And at first it's like, why is it wet there? And then like you realize what's happening. It's it's so weird. And it um, goes on for so long. It feels it like I mean, it's just yes. So and then Rodrigo, I mean, he and he sinks uh, over his head in, into the puddle, which I yeah, thought was yeah, a yeah. cool effect. Uh, well, as proof that Tom sank into the sea, they offer a note from Tom saying that he left because he's poor and can't support her and that she should marry Barnaby instead. And uh, like I said, this whole time they've been leaking water and it's revealed they're standing in a giant puddle. And then, like Robert said, Rodrigo completely falls in, which is weird because it's like a shallow puddle. But then all of a sudden, it's like the Tom getting hit on the head. It's just like he goes like totally mm -hmm. full mm -hmm. body beneath the water. It's pretty crazy. Uh, Mary is distraught about Tom. Sylvester thinks something's fishy about all this, says he wouldn't trust any of them, the fat one or the idiot. Uh, Barnaby follows Mary off into the garden and tries to sell her on marrying him. He combines promises of his wealth with threats to repossess her home, which is an interesting approach. And uh, he says that she should imagine his stately home as if it were a castle in Spain. And uh, when she resists, he sings a song about how great it would be if she were living in his castle in Spain, where they could turn the screws on the villagers while she lives on cake and champagne. What do you think about this? She Lumber. just lost her man. And they're like, let's do a song and dance about it. And he's like, Barnaby's dancing around and making like, hey, let's get married. Yeah, it just does not make any sense. Hey, I'll repo your house or you can marry me and get lots of money. Yeah. I will just say that this song was on a compilation that I listened to <laughs> yes. all the time. The music of Disney, a legacy and song. And I love this song because it's so such an absurd performance. Um, it's kind of a fun song, but man, seeing it in context is so bizarre to Andy's point <laughs> of like the timing of when it comes in. It feels like a completely different song when you just hear it as a song versus seeing it in the context of a movie where it comes. Yes. I remember it being on that compilation and thinking, what was that about in that it's, movie? It what is really the song weird. about? Yes. It's like, this is a song from Babes in Toy <laughs> And yeah. he's dancing in heels. Did you see yeah. that? That was crazy. I guess you had to, yeah. they had to get him taller than uh, Annette. He is way into the cape. Way into the cape. Way, yeah. Cape work. <laughs> Stupendous. Brilliant. Yeah. Cape work. <laughs> yes. Loved it. Massive cape. That, that man knew uh, how to work a cape. He's He does this little dance with the fountain, which was kind of interesting. Uh, lots so they of totally need, I, I, I put, they totally need to put this fountain in Fantasyland where you could interact with it. Like, yeah, that's totally what it was like. It was like uh, imagination, uh, the garden outside journey into imagination in the old yeah. days with that kind of stuff. Uh, Mary's not having any of it. She cries while he prances around. Uh, there are several extended bits of business here as he dances around the garden, and even Mary looks occasionally confused. I'll also point out when this movie came out, Bulger was 57 years old and Annette was 19 years old. So that adds an extra special factor to it's a different time, man. Different time. <laughs> anyway, Mary finally says no, and that she would never marry for wealth and that she can carry on with the income from her sheep, which I guess mm. is a profit center. Uh, just then Bo Peep shows up saying the sheep have been lost. 
Oh, and even cool. she gets in a song about her missing sheep. Ugh. God. <laughs> I'm just thinking about missing sheep. These songs uh, are A character quick. we don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the villagers are, I find it interesting. The villagers were watching on from a strangely close distance. They were like all up in her business. And uh, everyone tells Bo Peep, chill out, because they'll help her find her sheep somehow. Eventually, a kid called Bobby, who I don't know who that is, shows up and tells her that he knows where the sheep are because he did the thing apparently everyone else failed to think of, which was to follow their tracks. Wow. Anyway, yeah. And it turns out sheep have walked into the forest of no return, which seems to be a pretty big deal judging from how everyone reacts. Uh, everyone seemingly just gives up at that point, and Barnaby makes one last pass at creeping on Mary, which sends her away sobbing. And thus we wrap up our introduction to the whimsical world of Babes in Toyland. In our castle in Spain, you'll be living rent free every capital gain. You'll share with me From this village below Every cent we will drain And our fortune will grow In our castle in Spain uh, Alright, I guess <clears throat> Act 2 is up to me Alright, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that my uh, my narration of this is pretty heavily skewed towards my thoughts in the movie, so just <laughs> keep that in mind. All right, so Mary is putting the kids to bed, and uh, I fully anticipate you like to do this in like five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> some stuff happens. Oh, there's a couple songs. of scenes here. They ended up in a. <laughs> yeah, so Mary's putting the kids to bed, and by the way, who are these kids, and why is yes. Mary putting them? To yes, bed? thank you, thank you. She tells them not to worry about anything because it's going to be all right. Well, Bo Peep apologizes for losing the sheep, and Mary doesn't disagree, but still tells her not to worry. They will find her, or they will find their way home. Mary says goodnight and leaves the room, but as soon as she's gone, the kids immediately hop out of bed and eavesdrop on the goings-on downstairs. Mary starts singing about bills and how hard it will Man, be to wait, pay them. So, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bills, what bills, bills. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta say it, Andy. Come on. Gotta do the uh, I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Like we're in kind of a fantasy world, but she's got the bills piling up. It's really strange. This song feels like it's it's from something else. And then you yeah, put this it does into, not feel like it's yeah, part of this uh, yeah. the original nineteen oh three. Yeah. yeah, it seems so like somebody had a, a song they thought was a hit, and they put it in here. Especially yeah, since the point of the song is like math is hard. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm a girl and math is hard. I'm a girl and math is hard. Yeah, I put that in my notes here. It's not doing much for the women's liberation movement here. Yeah. So yeah, she's singing about bills and how hard it will be to pay them, and that's when the psychedelics kick in, just in yes. time for an- another song and dance about hard how hard it is to do basic math. That was. I mean, where's the song and dance about needing a better education? Is what I want to know. They did the Uh, uh, Mary the Mary Poppins mirror gag on that too. Yeah, Uh, testing it out, man. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, <clears throat> that uh, math song heads into the second verse, which is now about 6%. And 6% of what? I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, the third verse continues on about how cutting back on shoe repairs will keep them in the black. So I guess they, this is this is when I wrote it. this movie is begging for some Sherman Brothers at this point. They need oh, to be man. writing some better. Yeah. Songs. Yeah. I will well, I'll, I'll point out. I thought the handstand scene was kind of kind of cool, and, and I had to watch it three times to try to figure out how they how they shot it. Because yeah, they, they have some cool effects. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Because her feet, you know, she's not touching the ground, so she was suspended. But she wasn't upside down because her hair wasn't moving and her dress obviously wasn't moving. So I, I, I figured that she must have been hanging, you know, from a, like a waist harness or something with her hands in the air. Like, and then they obviously flipped the camera around. And, um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of a neat effect with all the psychedelic stuff. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the song's peppiness doesn't match the mood of the situation. <laughs> she should be singing the blues about being dumb and poor. You know, kind of like, bum, 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 bum. This is much too hard for me. Bum, 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 bum. I can't do the sum. Uh, so, so then uh, Mary realizes that maybe she should marry Mr. Barnaby and heads off oh, to accept gosh, his what? offer as the kids oh. watch her leave. Why would you come up to the th- with that conclusion? Bills. Yeah. Is that your solution? Yeah. Bills. And then the kids decide that in order to prevent Mary from marrying Barnaby, they will go find the lost sheep in the forest of no return. Yeah, why wasn't that the first idea? <laughs> well, back in the town square, you know, you know the town square where the, uh, the game of Twister on the windmill fan blades, that's the one we're talking about. <laughs> It's the middle of the night, and Gonzorgo and Rodrigo are shouting to wake everyone up because they have an important announcement. And Because Mr. Barnaby calls everyone together and announces that he and Mary will soon be wed, much to the crowd's dismay as Mary, the joyous bride-to-be, wipes away the tears. Then, strangely, Barnaby has hired some gypsies <laughs> to come and sing and dance for everyone who all probably just want to go back to bed since it's the middle of the night and they got woken up to hear a really sad wedding announcement. <laughs> I said nothing so, says wedding like a band of gypsies. Yeah, so <laughs> send, send in the gypsies and boy, do they know how to make an entrance. So colorful and spirited. Uh, I wish they were the gypsies from, from Russia with love. Oh, that been that's exactly what I was going to say. I was gonna, some gypsy dancing ensues, followed by a song that starts with, Gypsies, we are the gypsies, <laughs> and we're here today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> cheerful, we're always cheerful. <laughs> Our life is nothing but a happy song, which is a rather romantic view of the gypsy lifestyle. Yeah, if you were yep. stealing babies, wouldn't you be happy, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, Gonzorgo and Rodrigo realize these are the same gypsies they sold Tom to, and more gypsy dancing continues and goes on for a while. But really, though, as Michael said, I just kept hoping that two women gypsies would start fighting to the death over a man, <laughs> just like in the James Bond movie from Russia with Love. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah, it definitely started losing me here. I mean, I, the 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 the. the the gag of this making Andy miserable was like, okay, now it's starting to make me miserable. So <laughs> maybe I bit off more than I can chew here. It's funny that me and Robert decided to stop watching this movie at the exact same moment, which is coming up in just a minute. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. The, the I turned it off. I was like, oh, I'm done. You went, yeah, I just quit. <laughs> <laughs> the 
go ahead. Yeah, it's coming up. Here. Yeah, well, now it's time in the gypsy show for the old fortune teller woman to do her number. And however, so this the is old one woman... of the things that I remembered from this movie that made me afraid to watch it. The <laughs> hag, gypsy, fortune teller lady. Loretta. Oh, yeah. boy. So, yeah. Breath was... doesn't, doesn't reek of salami. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah, so however, the old woman is actually Tom, who is partaking in this whole production for some reason. <laughs> and and he re- he reveals himself, and his clothes just fly off, like the, yeah. uh, the hag clothes. <laughs> and that's when me and Robert were like, we were like, oh, okay, right. that's enough for, for tonight. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's a whole lot of singing and dancing just for Tom to finally reveal that he's still alive. But I will say that first, the makeup was really good. Like, I mean, it was ridiculous, but it like really didn't look like him. And no, no, no. The old lady makeup. I thought it was a good makeup job, even though it was like off-putting. Uh, second, he brought it as the old lady way more than he brought it as himself throughout very the entire true, movie. Like he is yes. like beyond 11 to a 12 as the old lady. <laughs> and like, I, yeah. And he just kind of plays Tom kind of flat. So he really went for it there. But yeah, the reveal where he like kind of ducks under, rips off the fake face and then does a, like a little huzzah pose while his clothes fly off in different directions is amazing. Yes. <laughs> That's when I stopped. <laughs> That's yep, me too. It's, it is something. It's something. <laughs> Gonzorgo and Rodrigo take off because now Barnaby knows that Tom's still alive and he's none too pleased when he catches up to them. Well, during all this gypsy excitement, we've forgotten that the children have gone to the forest of no return, which, by the way, has some very helpful signage. Yeah, it's Lots very mis- Mr. Toad wild ride here. There's a funny line when uh, he. Uh, catches the lackeys that are trying to get away. Barnaby does. And he's like, listen, I don't like getting double cross. I don't like getting triple cross. Just don't quadruple cross or it starts to like be a trust issue. Uh, that was kind of a funny line. I don't remember exactly what he says, but it was kind of funny. He's like, listen, we're cool, but just don't do it again because <laughs> it plays with my emotion. Yeah, well, the children are are calling for the lost sheep by yelling very helpful things like, come on, sheep! (laughs) Hey, sheep! Oh, man. Meanwhile, Mary and Tom return to her home, and this would have been a good time for Tom to explain to her what had happened to him. I want to point out a little bit of a plot hole here, just a small one. So Tom has a major role in the Gypsy show, and he was sold to the Gypsies, and they're just going to like let them walk away. I mean, there wasn't like some sort of a deal they had to strike or maybe that was the deal. Maybe it's like, you will be the hag woman for one show. One show only. yourself <laughs> as you, <laughs> then we'll collect the money out of people being amazed and, uh, and your debt will be repaid. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Doesn't, doesn't seem like a plot hole to me at all. Yeah. No, the negotiations <laughs> were done off screen <laughs> for clarity. <laughs> Yeah, well, so unfortunately that moment passes and once they return and find a note from the children letting her know that they've gone to the forest of no return to find the missing sheep. And Tom litters by tossing the letter on the ground and they just run off to help the kids. What a jerk. Yeah. So Barnaby reprimands his henchmen and tells them 
just like Michael said, he appreciates a good double cross, but they will not fail him again. And they all kind of pussyfoot away after Tom and Mary. Mm-hmm. How'd you like that pussyfooting? Really I, I like that it was proclaimed to be pussyfooting. <laughs> like, let us pussyfoot. Okay. And they prance away. Well, it was a running gag. I mean, not just the pussyfooting, but like they let us scheme and let us, they had this whole sort of weird joke going on that didn't land ever. Well, back in the forest, the children continue to look for the lost sheep. And I don't know why the sheep don't come running as they yell, please, sheep. But anyways, <laughs> the children are soon surrounded by some menacing yet dancing trees. Man. So More the guys running the smoke here. machines here were really earning their keep, man. I was, right. I was impressed with, their, right. <laughs> with the smoke effect here. Uh, I'll point out that the voice of one of the trees, at least according to IMDb, was Candy Candido, a.k.a. The peg-legged bat from the Great Mouse Detective. They also kind of had a vaguely tiki feel to them. Uh, these yes. trees, uh, something else. But yeah, also pure, just straight up Wizard of Oz. Yes, so that's the dominant influence. The children cry out for help, and Tom and Mary come running to their aid. The children don't seem upset at all that Tom's alive, and uh, and they really, <laughs> and he didn't drown, so uh, they're just happy he's back. But, uh, Tom says it's too dark to travel, and suggests they sleep in the forest and head home in the morning. I would argue this is a plot hole, Robert. <laughs> like, they why just walked you're just, five minutes like, into the woods, and now they, they they can't walk five minutes out. Yeah. They're surrounded by living trees that are trapping them, and they're going to be like, oh yeah, let's just sleep here. Like, well, no, well, they said that the, they didn't believe them. Was, uh, you know, Tom and Mary were like well, talking trees <laughs> in, in fairy tale land. Hockey, you know, <laughs> of course not. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, you'd think that the talking trees would be the least, least plausible thing going on around. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're like, no, you're just tired. You need to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, so they they find a comfortable spot, and Tom and Mary sing the kids to sleep to calm their nerves about being captured by evil dancing trees. And those kids are out, man. Like they were just surrounded yeah. by walking, talking trees, and they're just like, oh, my peace. I'm out. And the trees are still the there, <laughs> lurking over them. Yes, yes. Oh, gosh. Well, un- unbeknownst to them, Barnaby, Gonzorgo, and Rodrigo are lurking behind the trees nearby and about to make their move when the movie. <sighs> Decides to take a turn because <laughs> seconds after the children fall asleep, it's now suddenly daytime and the trees wake them all up to tell them that they're not supposed to be there because they are trespassing on Toyland property. They must go see the toy maker who will decide their fate. Now, I'm Very, confused now though. Cause yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause they they're in trouble, but then they're like, you're in Toyland. Oh, that's cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than being terrified as they were moments before, now everyone's happy and it all makes perfect sense. Yep. Jerking the plot wheel here. (laughs) Big time. Well, they're they're marched off to see the toy maker while Barnaby and his henchmen follow and decide to wait. Skipping. They're having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So his henchmen follow and decide to wait until nighttime to hatch their devilish scheme. Uh, so now at the toy maker's mansion slash factory slash whatever, 
Tom and Mary and the kids try to find a way in when they hear Grumio, the toy maker's assistant, calling for the toy maker. And it uh, looks like Bifford Hawk has put that Medfield <laughs> College degree to, to use and landed a job for Big Toy as an inventor. And it's a uh, Bifford Hawk combined with Jerry Lewis's a nutty professor. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And he shows the toy maker his new toy making machine that he's just invented. And after a demo of the machine, the toy maker pulls rank on his assistant. And like most senior citizens attempting to use technology, ends up breaking it and blaming it on someone else. He's so aggro about it. Why? Yeah, he is. Why? Annoyingly so. And I want to say is I know that that actor who played the toy maker is probably some beloved Disney person, but oh my <laughs> gosh, he was so annoying to me. I got <laughs> tired of. He, I don't care who he is. He was awful. Edwin. Edwin can suck it because that was awful. Yeah. Yeah, the character the character is rough. <laughs> He's always like, you're an idiot after you invented this world-changing technology. Yeah, it just got old. Just the whole thing got old. Uh, Jeff, can you explain the can you explain the Foley work of the toy uh, the automated oh, toy machine? Oh man, classic Foley. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just like all this weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah, it's a, it's like the gobstopper machine in Willy Wonka. Yes, you know, you all that, it, yeah. that great foley going on. Yeah, so the toy maker flubber making. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The toy maker angrily sends Grimio away and sadly realizes that. They won't make their Christmas deadline now because when the machine malfunctioned, not only was the machine destroyed, but many of the toys were as well. Tom and Mary and the children introduced themselves to the sad toy maker, and they offer to work day and night to help him make the toys he needs. And uh, the toy maker accepts their generous offer, and in doing so, brings Act 2 to a close. Let's buckle up because we're about to rocket to the exciting conclusion of Babes in Toyland, Act Three. Before you start, I just want to ask them: Is the toy maker supposed to be Santa Claus in a way? Yeah, they kind of like fudge yeah. on that because he's got like a Christmas deadline, but he's clearly not Santa Claus. Yeah, it's like the uh, the man behind the man, maybe. Mm. All right, Robert. I hope you can clear this up. With the automated toy builder out of commission, no thanks to the toy maker, the children willing to volunteer to join a toy sweatshop where they will uh, make um, toys assembled in a line completely unorganized. Each toy receives a key component and then they hand it over to the next person. More like voluntold, know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) All the while, the toy maker is barking orders and the kids begin to sing about making toys. And I forget which song this is. It's already left my memory. Um, oh, the workshop song. Yes, everyone yeah. remembers the workshop song, right? Classic. I just yeah. wondered how long the cheerful assembly line would last. 
<laughs> as the child labor works day and night around the clock. <laughs> well, that brings me to my next point here. The whistle sounds and the work uh, day is over. And I would argue they probably should be working in shifts. But that's just me if they're going to get all these toys made. Because after all, the toy maker uh, requested over a million toys from the automated machine. So they got to really crank these things out. And they only built like maybe 10. So, but they're right I'm, on schedule. I'm not going to get it done, man. Not yeah, the bespoke toy market is not the scale required for Christmas. Barnaby, Gonzorgo, Rodrigo have been waiting for nightfall, which comes suddenly, I might add. Uh, that was they, a fun uh, gag. Quote, Silly. unquote, pussyfoot into the toy land, where they are met with no resistance. Yeah, where's the trees at now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the gag with the the night, the uh, yeah, the day, the night. Uh, that was all right. I mean, it's 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 cartoonish, very much so. Yeah, the whole thing is cartoonish. Yeah, the whole thing is just <laughs> meant to be a sort of a cartoon. Yeah. Inside Toyland, the toy maker provides the kids with some crates and boxes to sleep on. <laughs> Seems like uh, you could have done a little bit better, but uh, maybe times are tough there in Toyland. I, I mean, know. what happened before they got fully automated? I mean, didn't he have workforce of some sort? Right. Yeah, it seems like the factory was running running on a, on a it's a giant yeah, it was, complex. I mean, where I mean are when the they peek through the window when they first get there, everything's like abandoned. Yeah. So what happened? What's going on? We need another movie here. Prequel. Return <laughs> to Toyland. <laughs> Return to Toyland. <laughs> Mary and Tom head back to work where Mary sings a whimsical song about what a joy the kids will experience. When they receive their special toys at Christmas. I did. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I did not find this whimsical. Yeah. It's. uh, You're just a toy. (laughs) (laughs) Tom makes a somewhat creepy comparison to what Mary is singing. Imagining Mary as a toy and that he is loving her. Okay. So. That was the uh, the low point for me. That's when I unwrap you at Christmas. Yeah, and he's like manipulating her arms. It's ter- It's uh... yeah. I, I'm well. I'm you know. I, this missed me again when I watched it for the first time, and then the second time through, I'm watching this, going, "Man, this is really this is uncomfortable." I'm not. I'm and not again, this. the bad guys peeping. There's a lot of peeping going There's on in this movie. The on. bad guys are peering through the window at their like antics. So as Michael points out, Barnaby and his henchmen are looking on, patiently waiting for the song to end because they're villains who appreciate a good song, I guess. I don't know. Just as they begin to sneak into the room through that open window, Groomio barges in. I got it. I got it. I got it. Groomio has a new invention that will take objects and shrink them. Sure. This is a cool little prop. I gotta say, it's a fun little prop. A little trumpet with like a little beaker below it. Yeah, and like a like a blunderbuss or something. (laughs) (laughs) The toy maker isn't impressed until he sees it in action. Grumio warns him though how dangerous it is, and if too much of the formula is secreted onto somebody, it will (laughs) obliterate them completely. Two puffs and you're down. Yep, two <laughs> puffs and you're you're a goner. We'll say the uh, miniaturization <laughs> effect is really good too. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like the, uh, it reminded me of the jumping into the chalk painting Mary Poppins effect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Toy Maker does his egomaniac power move again and demands he use the gun. What's wrong with this guy, man? He shrinks everything into the room into toy-sized objects and declares he'll be able to make all kinds of toys now with ease. Tommy raises the painfully obvious question that we all were wondering at the same time. How are you going to shrink things down when you don't have anything to shrink? I'm so glad that this was like a plot point because I was screaming, how is this easier than making toys? <laughs> uh, like, how too. is it easy to make uh, like 4 million pieces of real sized furniture and shrink them? <laughs> I thought they were going to Disney it, Disney eyes it and be like, oh yeah, and just keep going. But yeah, they actually made it a point. I will say that Wynn gives a really good look take here as he receives the bad news. Yeah. And I get the sense that poor Grumio is uh, a great idea, man, but he's not really good with the big picture stuff. So, because why didn't he think of this either? Grumio, again, is sent off in shame and is belittled by the toy maker and tosses his gun out the window into the hands of Barnaby. Nice catch, too. Oh, nice snag. While realizing everything in the room is now small, Barnaby shrinks the toy maker and then climb as he climbs into bed, Barnaby comes in with some great camera work. I'll give of forced perspective with a sinister looking low angle. Ray gives a really good evil chuckle and he picks up the toy maker with a great practical effect. Barnaby holding a doll with his legs kicking. I did chuckle at that a little bit. Yeah, that was really well done. It's, uh, they're really good at doing this kind of little big thing from Darby O'Gill, which is incredible. The, the work. On yeah. That. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is something they, they knew their way around, I guess. Yeah. Like composite shots, which from this era always look like super, super dodgy. This movie has a ton of them and they look really nice. And the, like the miniature thing is really fun too with his kicking legs. Gonzorgo and Rodrigo begin to question why they joined Barnaby now as they see his scheme becoming a little too uncomfortable. Barnaby sets off to shoot Tom and they decide to intervene. They announce their intentions to leave and expose him as a fraud. Probably should have left that part out, but when he's holding a shrink gun, so Barnaby promptly shoots them and places them in a birdcage along with the toy maker. I like their line, consider us no longer in cahoots. Yes. I thought that was funny <laughs> for whatever reason. Also, I don't know why they decided to rebel at this point, considering they've like been ready to kill people like previously like a lot. But a uh, nice little turn there. Well, they, uh, they, they draw the line that when you start uh, shrinking people, and maybe that's their, their moral compass uh, steers yeah. them away from yeah. it. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but when they Gonzorgo and Rodrigo got shrunk and put in the cage... I had this feeling like I, I was like, they look like Jacques and Gus from Cinderella because they yes, had the same color nice. scheme. And nice. then yeah. Totally. Good call. And I will give another nod to the uh, cinematographer and the lighting guy. I thought the lighting effect with the birdcage uh, casting the shadow onto the wall with the characters inside the birdcage kind of gave a nice 
Yeah, that was dark, cool. sinister moment. Yeah, very noiry. Considering that yes. had to be projected on a soundstage, like huge, I'm sure. Yeah. Barnaby comes into Mary's room to her surprise and reveals he's shrunk Tom by holding up a doll. He then demands her hand in marriage or else. Mary, uh, of course, reluctantly agrees because Mary just wants to. <laughs> I don't know what Mary's end game is here, but yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, learn math. (laughs) (laughs) He can afford to send her to community college. Yeah, something. (laughs) Mother Goose Village Community College. (laughs) A tiny toy maker begins to officiate the marriage ceremony as everyone, minus the kids and Grumio, look on. The toy maker begins to stall as Tom escapes. Tiny Tom squirms into the toy room and blows a bugle, which I guess makes the toys come to life. I, I don't yeah. know. When but you're on toy level, they listen to you. I guess When you're so. toy-sized. Sound-activated wooden toys. It's All you got to do is ask. <laughs> I will say that the uh, the toy maker trying to like constantly stall a wedding was giving me real vibes for something, and then I realized it was from Beetlejuice when he's trying to marry Winona Ryder. And everybody yes! keeps trying to delay it with like uh, tricks. Yeah, that's good. Good call. He proceeds to unpack all the toy soldiers, to which there are a lot, as they begin an assault on Barnaby from land, sea, and air. All right, I will say this movie has been not great to this point <laughs> in many, many ways. Thank, but you. the stop motion. Of like the, all the toy stuff is really nice. Like oh, is yeah. it is high production value compared to uh, literally everything else. I agree. Got that Exitensio looking yeah. real nice. They had cut their chops doing like a lot of stop motion stuff at the studio, and it really pays off because this stuff looks like, especially for the time, stuff like this could look real real cheesy, but it yeah it looks nice. It looks good. Yeah. Think of Clash of the Titans being an example of it not looking too good. Yeah, and I mean, that was like 20-something years later. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly, Barnaby notices the commotion coming from the adjacent room, but dismisses it, eager to complete his nuptials with Mary. Confetti rains from the ceiling as the toys uh, parade through the room, and they pay tribute to a princess doll. (laughs) He gives them a little sassy wink. Tom rides a toy horse into the room and signals his attack, declaring the wedding stop. Barnaby laughs as the toys fire marbles and other forms of toy weaponry <laughs> at him in a painfully awkward sequence as Gonzorgo and Rodrigo escape the cage and, are, and arm themselves with a toy boat that has a cannon. Barnaby quickly grabs the toy boat and not the the ray gun he had earlier, the shrink gun. Um, and he uh, proceeds to counter the attack with a, with this singular weapon, which was, uh, it's really getting <laughs> lost on me now. But I mean, big, I mean, it's already lost, but it's really getting lost now. And yet Mary just looks on like she's like, yeah, oh, that was killing oh. me. She's like yeah. cowering and doesn't do anything. Yeah, like just tackle him or something, man. Go for the go for the legs. Get the get the gun. Get the shrink gun. It's just sitting there. He's not even using it now. 
He's 57. Come on. Take him out. Yeah. I'll... <laughs> As things begin to look bleak, Tom mounts a daring counterattack from the air and shoots paintbrushes loaded with paint at Barnaby while a Zeppelin flies over, dumping marbles on the floor. Barnaby seemingly down for the count. Mary just continues to stand there looking on. <laughs> Again, had a prime opportunity to grab the shrink gun. Run while for the he's shrink gun. Yeah, that makes sense. Barnaby gets up and then he goes for the shrink gun and finishes to finish Tom off. I mean, but uh, who am I to question the writing of this classic? But seems a little late for that. He should have just finished them all off a long time ago when he had the chance, but whatever. Spray down the room with shrink gas. Mary finally decides to do something now as the only other human-sized person in the room. Right as (laughs) Barnaby reaches for the shrink gun, she shoots him with his own toy boat cannon breaking the gun and releasing the shrink formula into the air as he shrinks down to toy size. Boom. Boom. My wife Good woke shot. up at this point right here because she had fallen asleep and she woke up and was very confused about what was happening. So was I, I. would imagine so. <laughs> I was confused. I had to watch this sequence a couple of times because I would like be making it and be like, wait, what? Huh? I had to rewind it. It, was, <laughs> it all came so fast. This would have been hard to put together because, I mean, you're cutting between, like, the Barnaby human size, like, getting, like, little pieces of stuff just thrown at him from every angle. Then you cut to, like, the small characters doing stuff on the soundstage, like, set of a giant room. And it all has to cut together. I would imagine that would have been, like, real difficult. And they did a lot of, like, matching action where, like, uh, Tom would, when he got those, like... um, sucker disc arrows and would like throw them down and the battleship would catch them. And then they shot him at Barnaby. So there was a lot of stuff that would, they had to storyboard this out probably a lot. Uh, it's funny that you should say that because I have been kind of going through my missing uh, MCU movies lately and just imagining like the prep and planning that goes into the fight scenes of that. I was imagining this. Yeah. Like an yeah. elaborate, like, you know, they Pre-vis have like a, animatic. Yeah. And they have like some kind of fighting instructor come in and tell them how to, you know, grab the shrinking machine the right way and, uh, you know, how to fall into a box, uh, you know, all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I will also say I had in my notes, there was a funny line from back when they were trying to get married and something about, do you take him to be your husband or something and and uh edwin says that's funny i take him to be your grandfather which i thought was a nice like hang a lantern on the creepiness of it all just when we think the jig is up tom and barnaby begin a sword fight and you guessed it mary just looks on mary could have just walked over and picked up old uh barnaby and you know yanked the sword out of his the toothpick sword he's basically using now out of his hand mary's just all about the security at this point let's be real You know, she's got to get those bills paid, so she's going to watch it play out for a while. Barnaby resorts to throwing (laughs) toys on Tom as they climb upon boxes and other toy blocks and things. With one last blow, Tom pushes Barnaby off the blocks and into a toy box, and victory at last. Great sound effect when he goes into the box. Yep, 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 yep. Grumio suddenly emerges with his 
re, pardon me, Grumio suddenly emerges with his restoring formula and Grumio. he restores everyone Grumio. to their normal Grumio. size. Grumio again is halted by the toy maker who instills his will over him once again, forcing him back into the shadows as he takes the formula gun and enlarges Tom. The children suddenly awake to find the room in shambles and declare that they've been playing with the toys, to which Tom responds, that's right, we've been playing with the toys. And we murdered Barnaby. (laughs) He just went into a box, man. He just went into a box. We don't know he's dead. We boxed him. Yeah, he's been boxed. I think I, I may have blacked out, or I just blocked this out of my memory. But did, does Grumio does he address Tom and everyone else being there, or is he just fine? He just accepts that they're there. He really doesn't, does he? He really no. doesn't. No, he's got those glasses. The, uh, the again, the Jerry Lewis thing. Yeah. So maybe it's hard you know, for him to see what's going on. Geniuses are often focused on, the, you know, that's they, true. That's they, true. They're distracted by their work. That's right. <laughs> always looking at that horizon Tom and Mary are finally married and Jeff I gotta tell you I think you could have had this song the Tom and Mary song rewritten to Jeff and Molly for your wedding and totally missed opportunity for you you really missed it that's a good idea we could have done the uh, the outfits too that have been I was gonna say man that Tom's get up. I mean, that's something else. <laughs> that was a pretty dope outfit. Legit. To say. Tom Jaunty. had a, a lot of great outfits throughout. I have to say, whoever was costuming him, give him a little extra love because he had a lot of great stuff. But I will point out that uh, the actor who plays Tom was married at the time to Nancy Sinatra. Oh, ah, spent, right. spent a lot that. of time on set and. Uh, his career took a dive after they got divorced, and Frankie put the kibosh on him. <laughs> this good. guy gets no roles, no songs, no gigs anywhere. I like your hair. You're done. <laughs> like your hair, kid, but you're dead. <laughs> oh. But yeah, it suddenly turns into a uh, Christmas movie at the end. Yeah, Gosh. finally. Really? <laughs> Sudden <laughs> pivot. The snow falls as the town sings. Tom and Mary fly out on a magical sleigh. And did anyone notice that the tree showed up for the wedding at the end? Oh, I, yeah, didn't, I didn't notice that. Didn't notice that. Yeah, right there at the very end as the sleighs, the trees just sort of like, like come stumbling out of the side of stage. Like, man, they're just trying to do their job, trying to keep the forest, you know, clean, clear. They out. were the ushers. It's the rules, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. This had major end of Greece vibes. Yes. Flying into the sky. Ah. And I don't even like Greece, but Mm-mm-mm. flying into the sky on your magic. I was uh, I was afraid of this movie. I was afraid of this movie, and I feel like I was right to be afraid of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Your fears were well justified. Well, in the Great Mouse Detective, I was I mentioned that I had been warned about this movie. I don't remember who warned me, but I distinctly remember saying, "You don't want to see this movie." So that's why I picked it. 
You're sick, man. Uh, well, this would be fun. It's time to rate this movie. Well, let's start with plot and writing. Uh, Andy, I'm going to toss it to you first. One. This was a big old one for me. A one, if our scale was one to five or one to a thousand, one. Because <laughs> I thought this plot was terrible. I thought this made no sense at all. So big old one. All right. Starting off strong. Michael, <laughs> plot and writing. Oh, boy. Well, for one thing, it's like two different movies pushed together, which is kind of strange because you've got all the, you've got two completely different places <laughs> and one just, what one. if we put mother goose world with the world of Christmas, except not Santa, but right. Toy Maker. I mean, I guess we should blame the operetta people, but yeah, we could have fixed, but so, I mean, one. really, you're making a movie about it. I'm going to go one, two. Robert, what do you got? You know, it's weird because I I, did, I never found myself looking at my watch, which is usually a, a pretty good indicator that I'm bored to tears. So I never was quite bored, but I, I'm going to have to go with a one, two, because it's, there, was, there was nothing. <laughs> just, we're trying to break it up into acts. I'm going, there's no there's no break. Well, so, yeah. I mean, there Making. were like maybe a couple of lines where I kind of went like, <laughs> but other than that it's just kind of flat all right that's exciting that's that's historic right there straight um, ones that's yeah right. <laughs> let's move to casting and acting now this should be pretty interesting i'm gonna give it to michael first what do you give it oh man that's i'll give it a two because i mean it wasn't the worst i could imagine but it's like they they were just so flat like as the and of course a lot of that's the problem with the writing we're given no reason to care about the leads at all and i mean they do fine with what they're given but like a lot of the kids were really weird and spaced out and uh, yeah a lot of it was just strange so i'll just go with the two despite the fact that i like a lot of these people yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you because I like so many of the people, but I have to throw that casting, you know, bump up. But the kids were so bad. Um, I just, it it <laughs> didn't even, it looked worse than like a community stage production at times with the way the <laughs> yes. kids acted. It was so bad. It, it just defies belief. And like, um, we know Moochie can do stuff and right. he gets and it's like, like two lines. They gave him like quaaludes and like had him go around with a dower. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. I'm going to jump in here and say the, the best acting in the movie were the sheep when they came through because that was the most <laughs> realistic and lifelike acting versus everything else. Verite. Yeah. So give, give us a number here, Andy. One. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert, well, you can round us out here. I'm gonna give it a two uh, just off of, of Ray Bolger's um, yeah he, uh, performance. I, I enjoyed moments of with him. He was going and, hard. Uh, he was going hard. But um, yeah, two. All right, production value. I'm gonna start this one off. I'm gonna say a four. Uh, I liked the colors and the effects. You know, there's I had some problems with uh, some of the. I don't 
know. Like, I don't dig the aesthetic of the Mother Goose world because it goes in with this Mother Goose thing. But I think the way they pulled it off, and I again, I like the really surreal stuff. Um, the music I thought was pretty well executed, but some of the songs were stinkers. Uh, that's making me feel like I should push it down, but I'm going to, I'm going to say four. Uh, we'll go to Robert next. Uh, I'm going to go with a three. Um, I mean, it's meant obviously meant to be like cartoonish and there were lots of moments, uh, that I liked, um, from a production's standpoint, but overall it just didn't, it wasn't enough to put it up there with some of the other movies we've seen that I really liked. So. I think he might be right. I think I might, I might, I might go to a three. And since we're not officially grading this, uh, Michael, what about you? This was one I kept thinking about while I was watching the movie. I was thinking, what would I rate this? Because I at first, I was like, man, this is going to get a low production value rating. Uh, uh, when it was like on the soundstage, and it was just kind of shot like a TV special. And like, despite like, I like the design of the stuff, but it felt very small and very just not expansive. Then the second half of the movie, which is totally different. You get a lot of like mat shots, you get all the toy making stuff and you get like the stop motion scene, which felt like it ate up. It must've just been the entire production budget or attention or whatever. I don't know, but I was like, well, this is really, really good. So it's, like where a lot of stuff is just kind of rough and a lot of stuff is really good. And I do like the incorporation of like all the effects and the gags and like the animation and stuff. So for me, it's between a three and a four. I'll probably stick with a high three though. All right. So all three so far, Andy, what do you say? I mean, I agree with a lot of things you guys have said. I, I thought the last half, like you said, the stop motion things, um the the how they matched when mary was doing her psychedelic singing about being not being able to do math how they matched that up i mean things like that i thought some of those visual effects and special effects were pretty clever and like the ones with like you said when uh, tom got hit on the head and that say that kept it from being a one for me so i'm gonna give that a two. Oh, hey, hey man <laughs> oh, wow. okay. all right all right, so we're going to finish with entertainment value. We'll start with Robert on this one. What do you give it? Um, I, I, think my, I think my entertainment value was more at, at, at the expense of Andy. Metatextual value. I'll give it a two just because I, I, I went in completely cold. I had no idea what this movie was. What was and I didn't know it was a musical. I didn't know anything beyond that Annette Finicello was in it. And that's really it. So, and I was warned not to watch it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm going to give it a two for entertainment value. I think, yeah, I'm going to give it to Michael before I weigh in. Michael? I'm giving it a two. I mean, at least, again, the stop motion stuff was really cool. Like, if that popped up in a TV special, like, Best of Disney Christmas, I'd be like, all right, I like watching this. This is cool. The rest, I don't know. It didn't get bogged down too much. Like I felt like it moved aside from the heat when he drowned and they were doing the Ooh, drowning yi, thing. Yi. That yeah. was the part that really felt bogged down. But yeah, I mean, there were a few things that I liked, so that's enough to give it a two, I guess. 
I think I agree with you all. I mean, I, I want to give it a one because I don't ever want to watch it again in its entirety. But I thought that a lot of there were a lot of little things in it that were interesting that kind of piqued my interest. And this time period of Disney, I, I would just about watch anything from now. This really tests that. But uh, so, so too. Uh, I'm going to let Andy finish us off here. Andy, you have the stage here to uh, to sum up this entertainment value of this movie. All I'm going to say is... Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't think I need to say anything at all. I think my, <laughs> uh, my thoughts throughout this podcast have uh, spoke for what I think of this movie. And I'll leave it at that. So we're not recommending this one, I don't think. No. Only as an epic. <laughs> we're right. going to catch some flack on Twitter for this one, I think. Maybe. So, maybe people, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't many like people, stalwart Annette. Adirius, I want to know why someone does like this movie. That's a good point. Good point. Michael, did Leonard Malton have anything to say about this? Leonard Malton had a lot to say about this. Oh, but I will, I will excerpt briefly. Um, says Leonard Malton. There is no heart to the film. There is no menace to the villains. In trying <laughs> to keep the film at the level of fluffy entertainment, the filmmakers forgot to breathe life into the whole production. For older viewers, there is an air of contrivance about the film. Every movement, every gag, every gimmick has a pre-planned mechanical look about it that in its very calculatedness leaves the viewer cold. See, Leonard and gets the, it. The, Leonard rare, gets the rare Malton dunk there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it it went on at length. It, the dunks were extensive. <laughs> oh wow! Well, Leonard Leonard knows. Fly slam a jamma, Leonard Malton. <laughs> That's right. Well, guys, that uh, that is a wrap on our holiday special. Merry <laughs> Christmas! And that is a wrap on our first full year of of being a podcast. Yes. Um, it's, congratulations it's, guys congratulations a blast. what a year and, to do it yeah you go from uh from gus to babes in toyland and andy has been educated <laughs> god what a roller coaster <laughs> That's right. all right so the great debate has begun as season three has taken shape we want to hear what you have to say you know where to find us that's at medfield film on social media info at medfieldfilm.com is our email and robert we are opening up the Film Society mailbag for the first time. Is this correct? That is correct, Jeff. Let's pull a letter out of the old Medfield College Film Society mailbag. And tonight's letter comes from Murph in Peoria, Illinois. Murph. Murph writes, Dear Medfield College Film Society, I just wanted to drop a line and let you know how much I'm enjoying your podcast and look forward to new episodes. Most of the movies you review were staples of a 70s and 80s childhood, either as the TV movies or that one special cabinet that was familiar with white clamshell boxes at the corner video store, the only movies we were allowed to choose from. Thanks for a great show, Murph, from Peoria, Illinois. Thank you, Murph, for writing us. And we're glad you are enjoying the podcast. We work hard to make this fun for you all. And I think I can speak for my fellow society members when I say we're having a blast doing it for you. So thank you, Murph. I like doing the podcast. I don't like watching some of these movies. <laughs> that much is clear. 
Absolutely. <laughs> it was way more fun to talk about Babes in Toyland. I Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I'm excited about next year, Robert. We've got uh, before season three. I mean, we've got to finish season two. Uh, let's not jump ahead of ourselves here. Can you remind us what our film is next month? Jeff, the Swiss family Robinson awaits us in 2021 with some familiar faces from babes in Toyland making an appearance, at least one familiar face, a true Disney classic. Is this the one where it goes sharks? (laughs) Sharks. That's where you did that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, indeed. So, holiday season. We hope you all are having a great one. And, uh, you know, if Todd Naparik, our graphic designer over at BindingGraphics.com, were here, I'm sure he'd wish you a happy holiday with an amazing graphic he designed. Because that's just what Todd does. He designs (laughs) graphics, and he's darn good at it, too. Let him design your holiday greeting card. Might be too late. By the time you hear this. But let (laughs) him do it for next year. I mean, sign him up for next year. Uh, you know, he'll wow your family and friends. You could just, uh, do one of those, uh, jib jab things. Maybe, maybe Todd could help you with that. (laughs) Something nice. Todd's going to make you look good. Check him out at Upwork and bindandgraphics.com. B-Y-D-A-N-D graphics.com. Boys, anything else before we shut this year down? Historic, historic year. Historic in so many ways. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) From Oyich to Boatniks, Boogadiks to Toyland. Quite a journey. Mm. Yeah. To that beautiful, beautiful planet of Pandora. Yes, to Awa and beyond. Yes. <laughs> May Awa be with us all. Yeah. Awa well, was really with us this whole year. It's true. It's true. Well, from all of us to all of you, it has been a great year. We are very thankful for you all. This time of year, we hope you all are staying safe and, and having a nice holiday despite all the wildness that this year has thrown us. We are thankful to be here with you. And we look forward to a new year in so many ways, but in one of those ways being uh, being able to share more movies with you. So from all of us to all of you, thank you all and take care. Have a great end of your year and we'll see you in 2021. How are we a mighty red field? How my mother dear? All your sons and daughters hail to me. Field, college of technology, and while we hold your banner high, rock, rock, we shout your praises to the sky, rock, rock, for proud are we a mighty man.